For everyone with an interest in MASH, or more broadly, metabolic-associated steatonic liver disease, surf's up. Doesn't that roll off the tongue? Season 4, episode 48 of Surfing the MASH Tsunami, our interviews with some of our best friends about what they're looking forward to at the Liver Meeting 2023, starts now. Today on Surfing the Nash Tsunami. We need to get to that point where people are comfortable uh, prescribing digital therapeutics, making sure insurance companies see the value in this. As we prepare for the Liver Meeting 2023, Surfing the Nash Tsunami is interviewing some of our guest opinion leaders on what they find most exciting about the upcoming agenda. Today, Roger Green speaks with hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Dr. Naeem Alkouri about presentations he will give in Boston and others he anticipates eagerly. This is Roger Green, host of the podcast, soon to be officially rebranded Surfing the Mashed Tsunami. This week, our plan was to record an episode on the liver risk score, but that fell apart at the last minute due to some conflicts that only emerged on Monday. We were unable to record this week. We hope to have that interview for you at a later point in time. So next on the release schedule, and pushed up a few days, was the preview run-up to the Liver Meeting 2023 from AASLD, which takes place in Boston starting on November 9. The original plan was to record several interviews that we would release on the week that starts on October 30th, but we are stepping that up a little bit. We will do one or two of them at the end of this week, and two, three, or more uh, over the course of next week. Each will be an individual interview with one of our favorite guests, discussing what that person anticipates most eagerly about TLM 2023. Today's interview is with our good friend Naeem Al-Khoury. Uh, Naeem will be talking about some of the papers that he'll be presenting at the meeting, and we get into a discussion about a lot of exciting content around cirrhosis that should arise at this event. Hope you enjoy. So uh, our next interview in our series of Liver Meeting 2023 warm-ups is with our good friend Naeem Al-Khoury. Naeem, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. So uh, this is a late time for you. It's only, are you in Phoenix today? Arizona today? I'm actually in our Ohio site uh, today, and getting ready for ASLD. I can't believe it's only in like 10 days. Uh, very stressful time, but exciting time. So much is going on at this year's meeting. Yeah, a lot is going on. And what we're doing this week is we're asking some of our friends and guests to uh, comment on what they're most, what you're presenting, what you're most excited about at the meeting. Let me just let you dive in. So what are you going to be sharing with people at the, in ASLD in 10 days? Yeah, honestly, there's a lot that uh, we will be sharing this uh, year, uh, several randomized control trials. Uh, many of them are embargoed. We can't uh, get into the details details, but also many of them were uh, associated with press releases and they got a lot of attention even before the meeting. So we will be uh, presenting uh, data from the Duet trial. Uh, this is the combination trial with uh, Turns Pharmaceuticals. They looked at the combination of their THR beta plus the FXR agonist. Um, I'm excited about their THR beta and uh, this looks like uh, potentially could be considered the second generation with less side uh, effects in terms of uh, diarrhea. Uh, but, you know, as you you know, THR beta class has been associated with very good tolerability. Uh, so overall, I'm optimistic about the whole class. Uh, obviously, resmeterom is in the uh, spotlight between now and uh, March 14th, the PDUFA date, and uh, we cannot wait to get 
are hands-on. Whereas Metorum to prescribe in clinic, I'm actually scheduling my patients now to come back in April of 2024. Obviously, there'll be more data with Resmeterum, uh, you know, more ancillary studies and post hoc analyses, just looking at more safety and uh, AE data. Everything is looking pretty good. We will be presenting some data also with uh, AD9 Bio and their FGF21 um, Pagosa Furman. Uh, this was a small cirrhotic uh, cohort uh, that uh, also looks promising. Obviously, Nash cirrhosis has been in the spotlight last uh, couple of weeks with the Akira press release with Symmetry. Uh, what we saw with uh, Pagosa Furman is that there is a signal that maybe there is improvement in uh, cirrhosis in terms of fibrosis regression. And to be honest with you, even with the Akira data, I was encouraged to see the delta from placebo. I was encouraged to see the Pro-C3 data, uh, the Nash resolution rate. So I did not look at that uh, press release as a negative one. Uh, I think the duration of the study was too short. Maybe the sample size was too small, but I suspect that once we extend uh, the treatment to 96 weeks, uh, we will see uh, so that's also good news. Uh, there will be data presented from uh, the NGM program also, Alda Furman. Uh, as you know, they stopped uh, development for Nash with F2, F3, but uh, we had the Alpine 4 uh, trial that was the cirrhosis one, um, and the primary endpoint was improvement in the ELF uh, score. Uh, but I think this is even more relevant now as we continue to struggle a bit with Nash cirrhosis. And in my mind, this um, uh, you know therapeutic target of GF19 uh, has potential also, and it showed uh, good efficacy data. Uh, so I think you know there's potential that you know you may want to develop it for Nash cirrhosis. Uh, there will be other studies also, uh, newer mechanisms of action uh, like Miracurlant. Uh, we will have a late breaker uh, poster that will be uh, presented. Uh, there is also uh, new data with the North Sea uh, with their uh, structurally engineered fatty acid. Uh, so a lot is going on in terms of uh, randomized control trials. Um, I'm very excited to uh, you know share the full data and uh, see the reaction uh, after we do the full presentations. So that's exciting. I mean, you know, um, first of all, it does feel like drug development is coming into a whole new era, right? Whereas Meteorum likely to be approved and new modes of action that look promising. Now, as we go along, we learn where the warts are in different medications. But, you know, most, not to be overly Pollyanna-ish about this, but most medications have warts, right? And have bad moments. So it seems that the more different modes of actions we look at and the further we go down the path, we'll get some good surprises or we'll get some good news. Occasionally, we'll get some bad surprises. But I, I take your point. I, I had a similar reaction to the Afroxifermin data, which is that while it wasn't everything everybody hoped it would be, it seemed promising for the longer term. If there's good data on Pagosa Furman or promising data on Pagosa Furman, does, in your mind, does that reinforce differences between the two FGF21s? Or is that a positive statement about FGF21 as a class, or some of each for that matter? The way I see it, I mean, as you know, not all FGF21s are created equal, so it depends on the downstream signaling and, you know, your activity on different receptors. But in my mind, you know, Pagosa Furman and uh, the Boston Pharmaceutical uh, FGF21, GF21 and Afroxifermin, uh, uh, they actually uh, signal to the three uh, receptors. And uh, I see it as a positive statement for this class of FGF21s, uh, not the ones that just signal to um, the receptor 1C. Uh, so, you know, any good data from Pagosa Furman, from Boston Pharmaceutical, from Akiro, uh, I see it as a statement for the whole class. I thought it was interesting because I thought the Furman data, when it the first stuff that was released a couple of months ago, was really promising. I mean, maybe even surprisingly promising, given the 
the what happened with, with fibrosis, although, as we all know, there was just one kind of funky cell there. And unfortunately, it was the cell in the middle, so people couldn't figure out what to do with it. How do you see, I mean, and cirrhosis is obviously a big issue, maybe the big issue, since it's the point in time where people are closest to grave liver events. And uh, quality of life and feel function and survive all take a real turn for the worse at some point in the, in the cirrhotic process. It's interesting that you chose to start on cirrhosis. Is it your sense that cirrhosis has a, the treatment of cirrhosis will have a promising future over the next couple of years or is it too early to say do you think? Well, you know I think we are getting there to be honest with, with you Roger I mean I never thought that in my career we will see treatments that can reverse cirrhosis and this will be the primary endpoint of a clinical trial um, obviously the, the concept is there we've seen it with the treatment of hepatitis B uh, treatment of hep C people that stop drinking alcohol uh, so cirrhosis is definitely reversible but uh, you know what we're getting at now is really potential medications that can reverse cirrhosis, period. I mean, uh, you know, obviously we're starting with NASH. Uh, some of these medicines have uh, their metabolic pathway of uh, improving liver fibrosis. Uh, but uh, I mean, we may get to a point where we use the same drugs to look at alcohol-associated cirrhosis. Uh, and who knows? I mean, we may explore them in other diseases if there is, uh, you know, established uh, cirrhosis. So uh, it's very exciting. I think it is the highest bar. I think, you know, designing trials based on histology has been challenging. I think cirrhosis is a universe. It's really not just stage four. Uh, so there is, you know, a stage four that can be divided based on ESHAC into five and six. And then there's cirrhosis with clinically significant polyhypertension. And that can be also further divided. And then you get to the decompensated stage. So there's a lot. And as we learn more from companies like HistoIndex and Path AI and using continuous scales of, uh, you know, even stage four, there's a lot uh, that uh, we need to learn in uh, terms of how to design cirrhosis trials. What's the Emerging now is, you know, if you want to focus on histology and cirrhosis regression on uh, biopsy, uh, you need to select early uh, uh, cirrhosis. So uh, patients with a little bit higher platelet count, uh, you need to may have a cap for liver stiffness on fiber scan, uh, maybe do ESHAC-5. If you're going to do the ChildPU score, do ChildPU A5 only. These are more likely to regress on histology. If you want to design a protocol based on outcomes, uh, which is really the holy grail, at least for the FDA at this point, to get full approval for cirrhosis you need to go the opposite direction. You need to lower your platelet count, not have a cut point on uh, liver stiffness, uh, allow some clinically significant polyhypertension, uh, but also not be too blind and include people where it's just too late. So you need to find that point of no return. And that point of no return also can be divided into point of no return on histology and point of no return on affecting outcomes. Uh, so a lot that we need to learn and figure out. And, you know, as you know, easier said than done to find these patients that qualify for the so I think it's very exciting next couple of years in Nash cirrhosis. You make an interesting point. Well, let me amend that. I listen to what you're saying, and the content makes a really interesting point, which isn't exactly what you're talking about, but I think it matters. Um, you know, I've said this forever, that Nixon in 1969 declared the war on cancer only to learn that cancer was a whole bunch of different tumor types and subtypes and sub-subtypes. If you think about an analysis of the impact of cirrhosis on life and on society, you get to a bunch of different issues, right? Portal hypertension has one set of effects. Uh, strength decompensation has another set of effects. Where you look on the scale, uh, everything you're talking about, are we in a place yet to develop a more sophisticated viewpoint of how to think about the targets in cirrhosis? That's kind of what I hear you saying. Yeah, we're definitely getting there. I mean, I think if you look at uh, histo-index data, for example, uh, in addition to the Q-fibrosis and the continuous scale, uh, they have 184 variables for, you know, fibrosis that they can look at. So we're getting to a level that, you know, the, the science is more advanced than the 
uh, clinical knowledge. And we just really don't know what this means. And I think we will figure it out, but it's going to take us probably a good decade before we get to that granularity and level of understanding how these uh, fibrosis parameters potentially can affect outcomes. Um, and the same can be said with other companies like PharmaNest and uh, uh, BioSelvia and uh, Path AI. I think also we are learning more about, uh, you know, how different mechanisms of actions may affect the treatment outcome in terms of uh, cirrhosis. And I think we are trying to also separate mechanisms of actions into those that target upstream and allow the liver in a way to heal itself versus pure antifibrotics that actually target fibrosis. So uh, a lot to to be learned, I guess. What's exciting is that I can tell you, uh, obviously, Akiro has a cirrhosis program. We have the program with uh, Madrigal, uh, but other companies are looking at this like 89Bio and uh, hopefully, you know, with more positive data uh, in phase 2B, uh, bigger companies will be getting into designing phase 3 um, and that will uh, help us also gather more data in patients with NAS cirrhosis. Novo Nordisk, they have a program that includes uh, patients from F2 to F4 with combination therapy that has FGF21 uh, plus other uh, therapeutic assets. So uh, that's an exciting program. And uh, as you've seen also in uh, press releases and presentations, Merck and uh, Boringer Engelheim, uh, they have these dual agonists that have glucagon and we're really trying to understand the effects of including the glucagon uh, agonist on um, uh, liver fibrosis. Uh, Altamune has promising data also and they started their phase 2B. Uh, so if that's successful, they'll be designing a NAS cirrhosis trial. Uh, so a lot of excitement and uh, I'm also proud to say that, uh, you know, within the Summit Network, we have the Cirrhosis Advisory Board now that I'm chairing and uh, we're going to start a series of webinars in December uh, to talk about NAS cirrhosis trial design, uh, patient identification uh, outcomes. Um, and this will be a quarterly webinar that we will do and you'll hear uh, more about it in the near future. That's fantastic. Very exciting. A lot of good things going on. Let's run all the way around to the other side of the world or the other side of the conceptual world. I noticed that you're doing an event there. I think it's an MTE, is it, on uh, digital therapeutics? Yes, it's a Meet the Expert session. Uh, uh, you're absolutely right. And I'm very excited to uh, share this one with Dr. Uh, Sonal Kumar. She's at uh, Cornell, very good friend, established a multidisciplinary team. Um, you know, the way I see it, and uh, I'll, I'll present this in a more eloquent way at the meeting, uh, but, you know, when we think about digital therapeutics, you have uh, things like Noom, uh, which is an app that anyone can download and uh, start using as a way to lose weight uh, uh, to, to help uh, their fatty liver disease. Uh, and then you have uh, digital therapeutics that are prescription-based, uh, like better therapeutics. Uh, they're actually FDA-approved for diabetes now under the name Aspire RX. It's very fascinating, Roger. I'm looking into actually incorporating this into my clinic for my diabetic patients uh, because you can improve A1C. It's a 90-day uh, prescription in a way. You get the app for 90 days. It has to be prescribed by a physician. It goes to a digital pharmacy and then you have to get it uh, prior authorized by insurance. Then insurance is supposed to pay for it. So I actually have my uh, clinic admin now in communication with the Better Therapeutic team to see how we can prescribe this. And then the ultimate goal is to have a digital platform uh, where you incorporate an app, uh, so a digital therapeutic, but also you have a way to do uh, remote uh, monitoring of patients. Uh, you have a way to connect them uh, with a, potentially a coordinator of their care, someone who can um, advise them when they have uh, questions. Um, and eventually, I would like to use this as a way to treat patients remotely with televisits and be able to prescribe medications like resmeter. So these are the three levels of digital therapeutics that I'll be discussing. Again, the regular apps, the prescription apps, and then finally a digital platform.
platform. So the digital platform idea is, that's not something you and I've talked about, at least in the past. That's really a fascinating idea. I mean, it makes it makes sense, right? In a sense, it's, it's an extension of electronic medical record, one generation therapeutically, and one generation in terms of data integration all at the same time. But that sounds fantastically promising. Yeah, yeah. And we are actually, you know, starting to use this in our clinics with the um, app or, you know, a digital platform called uh, Liver Healthy. Uh, so this has been implemented. Uh, obviously, the biggest issue with digital therapeutics in general has been uh, insurance coverage. Once we get to that point, I think the, the field is going to take off. Uh, without this, uh, we're kind of doomed. So we need to get to that point where people are comfortable uh, prescribing digital therapeutics, making sure insurance companies see the value in this. So that involves outcomes. Are there, is there outcomes work being done on digital therapeutics that will produce that kind of data, those kinds of numbers? Uh, the, this is what we're doing currently, you know, trying to generate uh, outcomes and show the value. I think in diabetes, it's been done in the context of randomized controlled trials. Uh, in fatty liver disease, we did a pilot uh, study, uh, but we need to do a randomized controlled trial. with uh, Instead of placebo, we call it a sham app. So it's an app that looks like it's the real deal, but it's not. I'm going to ask one more question because I know you're, you're in a rush this morning. What else should people be looking for at this meeting that you're going to be not presenting at, but attending or, or watching that you think is really going to be interesting? I would say the biggest news is really the implementation of the new nomenclature. Uh, I apologize to the audience that I'm still using old terminology. I should never use NASH anymore. <laughs> but anyway, it's not easy. And I think everyone realizes it's going to take a minute. And um, I think we have a, a, a big uh, plan uh, through ASLD, uh, several events uh, talking about the uh, nomenclature, the implementation plans, uh, several discussions on the uh, scientific end, like, you know, d- discussions with the NIH and uh, funding agencies uh, on the regulatory um, uh, and also with FDA and EMA um, and also in terms of publications, uh, you know, big journals like Hepatology, Journal of Hepatology, and uh, just thinking about uh, how this new nomenclature is going to affect everything that we do day to day in practice. So we need new ICD-10 codes. We need insurance uh, providers to recognize the new terminology. Uh, We need also to uh, educate, um, you know, other specialties about the implications and uh, why uh, we had to change the name and why we had to do it now. I think there are so many uh, misconceptions out there. People don't understand why it had to be done uh, now. And I think we, we do have the answers. We all know the answers within ASLD, uh, but getting the word out uh, to the rest of the world is very important. And you'll see several events about nomenclature. So in 30 seconds before we jump off, why? Why did it have to happen now? Uh, you know, the, the reason is because, uh, you know, there was a name change that happened without scientific consensus uh, with MAFLD. And there was a change in definition that would have had great implications for drug development and biomarker development. And we had to really act quickly uh, to make sure that uh, name change will not affect everything that has been done in the field. So that was the urgency. And I think this piece is lost on so many people. They think it, it had to do with uh, people trying to publish papers or egos. Or, and honestly, it has nothing to do with this. If you ask all of us that uh, have been involved in the process, uh, we realize we have bigger priorities. I think it was just to preserve everything that has been done in the field and make sure that we're not uh, taking two steps back uh, with all the progress that we've made. Okay, so here's what I just heard you say, and then tell me yes, no, maybe so, and then we'll jump. A lot of people believed that the name change came about because folks wanted to redefine the disease and that the problem there was that they didn't take into adequate account the effect it would have on on byproducts like drug development. What you're saying is almost the reverse. The change got made, or, or, or some people made the change, and then the reason to undertake this effort was to protect commercial interests and drug development and everything else that's so pivotal to real patient lives as compared to merely publication of papers. Do I get that right? Uh, yeah, because it, it wasn't really just a name change. There was a definition change, and that was important. And obviously, we wanted to get feedback from patients and, uh, you know, get 
their preference. And I think the word fatty was uh, stigmatizing. So that's another aspect of it. But I think the urgency had to do with this more than anything else. Hey, Naeem, thank you so much for your time this morning. And uh, I'll see you on the podcast a week from Monday and then in Boston. Thank you, my friend. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed that interview. We will not have a business section this week. I will be back probably tomorrow with the next of our 2023 Liver Meeting leading interviews. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Have any questions for the surfers? You can send them to surfingnash.com and we will answer on the podcast or the website. 